0: Hello, and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Edie Quinn, and I'd like you to hear something.
1: Eyes and smiles that implied violence.
0: You're hearing Staring Problem by Jetsam, featuring my new pal Jack on vocals. Check out the EP at jetsommtl.bandcamp.com after the interview.
1: One of the earliest sort of like specific sensory memories I have is of, um, a lucid dream that I had when I was a kid. I really don't know how old I was. Um, I was definitely younger than eight, um, and I have this memory of being asleep in my bed, um, and being aware that my mom was coming into the room to like, wake me up for school. So it was, it was really early. It was like, uh, probably just before 6 AM. Um, and so the dream was, uh, me waking up, but like knowing that it wasn't my sort of like physical or like real, whatever, real, uh, self that was waking up and, um, observing my mom walk into the room, Uh, and then having sort of like the dreaming part of me leave my body, um, and float through our whole house, just observing, you know, the way that things were. Um, so observing, you know, the, my mom's bathroom with the light on and her like getting ready for work or, or it being set up for her to get ready for work. Um, and my other mom in the kitchen in her house coat, uh, making coffee and, Um, the dogs and the cats in the kitchen, like begging for scraps, um, and sort of floating through the house, looking through the windows, you know, seeing that the sky was still dark out and seeing that all of the, you know, furniture and whatever was in, in its normal places. Um, and then going to sort of float down into the basement, um, and just being confronted with this like wall of darkness and having this feeling of like, oh no, that's a, that's a bad place. (laughs) Um, and then, kind of zooming back into my body and waking up uh, as my mom was sort of like touching my shoulder to wake me up.
0: That is absolutely wild. <laughs> <laughs> that that is like that. That sounds like a trip through the astral plane or something. Like that's yeah. That's so surreal. Yeah. Um, I thought you were just going with like I thought you were just going into like oh I you know i i sort of um was you know dreaming realized whatever and and then just waited until you know my mom <laughs> actually woke me up or whatever which is like i mean that's something that i i used to kind of like i would wake up like right i've always had this really weird um internal clock where it's like i it's like anticipatory like i know uh-huh. Bef- right before i'm supposed to get up you know like i n- i can never wait until the alarm it's like always oh, like right before then and mm-hmm. i used to do this thing where when my mom would go to wake me up i'd pretend i i wasn't awake and my mom <laughs> would be like she'd be like i can tell you're awake you're smiling you know or whatever yeah. and yeah. like just like straight from since childhood like terrible liar no poker face you know Um, (laughs) (laughs) but you had this whole like you had this whole experience that and that's wild and that's like I guess there's like it makes a lot of sense that that would still be so vivid because that's yeah yeah that that is wild um like now that you're, now that you're older and, you know, and you've lived with this experience, like your whole life and stuff, I mean, I said like the astral plane, like sort of, you know, um, out of hand, but like, have you ever, have you ever read like about stuff like that? Have you ever read into that dream, uh, uh, what, what that could mean? Things like that. Yeah.
1: Um, I definitely did a lot more reading into that kind of stuff when I was younger, um, I've always had kind of a complicated relationship with sleep and dreaming. Like I, uh, developed wicked insomnia as a young kid because I had such intense and vivid nightmares that I was like, I cannot sleep because as soon as I close my eyes, the nightmares start and they do not stop until morning. Therefore I will never sleep. Um, and, uh, so I think, you know, maybe maybe somebody like braver or more reckless than me would have um, gotten really into, been like, "Oh, sick! I can lucid dream! I'm gonna really like pursue this." Um, whereas I was like, uh, "The problem is clearly dreaming, um, which is caused by sleep." So I'm just like,
0: never gonna do that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Th- uh, I mean, that's almost like like you you said brave, but that's almost like a more like, that feels like a more realistic approach to, like, than imagining, like, oh, just because I had this experience, like, I could have superpowers in my dreams or something, you know? Like, (laughs) so, like, I don't know. That seems, like, maybe it's just the way my brain is wired as well, but that seems, like, practical. It's like, okay, well, then (laughs) I just won't do this. Especially to a child who, like, doesn't realize you will lose that fight, like, more regularly than not, you know? Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I've like I've done a little bit or like I've I've been able to lucid dream um a little bit since then. Uh, but and 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 I like when I was a kid, definitely some of those lucid dreams were like very cool. Like I, I would be like, I want to fly in this dream. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'd be able to fly. But I would say like ninety percent of the lucid dreaming experiences have been very unpleasant. Um so I I, you know, try to discourage uh that from happening.
0: Yeah. I, so I had a, I had a similar experience when I was a kid. Uh, and I used to just have these nightmares all the time. And then like an older, like neighbor was like, oh, if you like, if you just stop and realize that it's a dream, then you can do whatever you want. And like, that works, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes or whatever, but like, um, I have this one dream and I I've not I don't think I've ever talked about this like but um like I'm afraid like I'm afraid it's true right and if I talk about it then it won't be true or something mm-hmm. right but I have this dream that like because you know like it's a fact that people don't use like 90% of their brain or whatever you know like um yeah so like I have this dream that the, that the only thing that's keeping people from Like, basically, having superpowers is just they can't figure out how to do it. Like, Mm -hmm. they just can't access that part of their brains. And, like, I, in this dream, like, I just realized one day that I could fly. And that it's just, like, not, like, it's not a thing. It doesn't require, like, anything that anybody does or does not have. It's just, like... I just was like, "Oh yeah, once you realize that you can do it, use It's like one of those like power of the mind things or whatever." Yeah, but yeah. It, in this dream, I'm just like I just like I feel light and then I just am flying and I I I don't I go like high above the trees and I just really enjoy the way I feel. And like I and I'm like no one can see me and I can't see anyone. Like I could be anyone up here. It doesn't matter. Mm. And like, which, I mean, that says something else about me for sure. (laughs) But like, um, you know, and and I'm just doing, I'm just like flying. I'm not like, I'm not Superman, you know, with your hands in front of you fly. I'm just like up there and I'm just moving like around. And it's like, it's beautiful. I have this dream all the time. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, one day, (laughs)
1: <laughs> One day like I'll just
0: start floating up into the air and that'll be it, you know, I'll have cracked it. But um yeah, yeah, it's I don't know, like I've always been uh fascinated um by dreams. I've I've not read as much in the last um you know, like uh 15 years or so as as I used to about it. But um but uh yeah, it's it's really a really interesting, like, first memory to recall for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that dream with me. And um, I hope that it, you know, despite being out there in the world now, I hope it comes
0: true for you. Oh, thank you. I, you'll be the first to know. I will thanks. I will immediately cool. message you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, like, um, you know, we we started off like on this really like we could have went a lot of places with that, but like mostly like, you know, we came to know of each other because of music and that's, you know, how I get to know so many people. Um, so like when did music become really important in your life and how did that happen?
1: Um, music has been really important to me for as long as I can remember. Um, I remember being... Actually, I guess this is a, a an earlier memory than the one that I shared, but it's it's not like um, a focused or coherent or vivid memory. Sure. Um, but I can just... I remember spending so, so much time as like a tiny, tiny baby um, in the car with my mom and always having music playing. Um, and I think at one point she told me that uh, when she was pregnant with me, um, she bought all of these like classical music to play for your baby, kinda C d um not CDs, obviously, but uh cassettes.
0: Sure. Um
1: and would just have those going constantly. And uh yeah, I just I remember being kind of obsessed with music since f- forever. Um I was really into uh classical music when I was a, a child. Um and then you know, the radio was kind of always on in my life, uh, whether like at home or, or in the car going somewhere. Um, and I really loved like radio rock, uh, as a kid. And then also my moms used to, um, they played like pool and darts and, and stuff a lot with, uh, all of their their other um, like older lesbian friends, mm. uh, and they would often take me to um, bars in the daytime when you could have a kid in there, uh, and just sort of like post me up underneath the pool table um, with pocket change to put into the jukebox, um, and I would just kind of have free run of the jukebox. And so um, I remember getting really into like BB King and stuff like that as a as a child. Um, And, uh, I remember one of my first album, first favorite albums being, um, by Delirium that like, um, hilarious, sort of like a hippie, uh, like world music vibes, electronic music band from, I think Vancouver, that's like vaguely associated with skinny puppy, which I obviously didn't know until way later. Um, but I was like really into Delirium as a child, um, and then uh, eventually got into like Lincoln Park and Evanescence, and uh, you know, went from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's 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 why. Like you know, um, you said like cl- that classical was like huge for you, like ever since you can remember, and like you're you're one of the only people that I've chatted with so far that um like you still routinely play something that I imagine you may have played since you were like in in like grade school or, or so like being the flute. Yeah. 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 So you got started with that very early as well?
1: Oh gosh, no. Um no? I started the flute when I was in I mean I I guess it depends on what you think of as oh, flute. okay fair, um, fair. <laughs> I, I started playing the flute when I was in junior high school.
0: Okay. Um,
1: as kind of like a you know all the junior high kids take band, mm-hmm. um, and fortunately I loved it. Um, but I didn't I didn't uh, take music classes when I was a, a kid or anything like that. Um, I in fact have have very little uh, inbuilt musical ability. Um, I, I learned the flute by practicing like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, which I guess goes back to like the, you know, why do you like music and and why is it so important to you thing? Um, I spent a lot, a lot of alone time as a kid. Uh, and so music was this like, um, uh, comfort thing. um, Actually, it it ties. Oh my god, I, I'm I'm so bad for this. I go off on tangents all the time, but oh, no, ties back to that dream. <laughs> um, I I spent a lot of time at home alone as a kid because I had you know two working moms, um, and uh, I was terrified of my house, especially the basement. Um, I was like a hundred percent sure that the basement was full of ghosts and demons and whatever, um, and so the way that i would soothe myself when i was home alone um was by either playing music or just singing music um and so i was like singing all the time when i was a kid as like a you know a way to keep myself company
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's um i think it's like I like, I definitely started playing music when I was in like, I don't know, it feels like I, I must have been like third grade. I started playing like at mm-hmm. in school, like, uh, started playing um, violin or something, but like, yeah, that seems, like, typical now is that no, no one starts, or at least that's the way it is around here. Like, all my children, like, when they've gone to school, they don't start until sixth or seventh grade now um, with that. yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess that's, like, kind of, like, typical is, is, like, you know, you get your start there. And you said that, like, you, like, it's, it's kind of, it kind of was like a way for you to soothe yourself by playing but mm-hmm. also like um were you like conscientious of like a a desire to be like good at it or was it just like like this is, you know, a way to pass the time. This is fun. Like
1: um I always wanted to be like a good singer. Uh that was uh, a sort of childish childhood fantasy that I had was being like a, you know, an amazing singer. Um, so singing to myself was both like a way to keep myself company and also a way to, you know, practice. Yeah. Um, and when I started playing an instrument in junior high school, um, it was like, you know, I want to be good because I don't like to be bad at things. Right. <laughs> But the idea of sort of being a good musician, uh, I don't think was, was so much on my radar. Yeah. I, I just, I
0: don't, you know, I don't, um, think that that kind of thing registers to a lot of people at that age necessarily, but like, you know, you, you don't like just spend like hours and hours and hours. Like my, like my, my kid doesn't like my kid plays the he he wanted to play the trumpet. It was his idea. He's like, I'd, yeah, that's going to be cool. But, like, he spends the bare minimum amount of time doing it, you know. <laughs> so, like, I just didn't know if that was also a factor where you were just like, I'm going to shred at this. Like, it, you know, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. And then, yeah, I mean, were you, like, when you got into heavier music, like, you mentioned Linkin Park and Evanescence was... Um, specifically with Evanescence, was the, the the fact that there was a piano there, um, was that, like, appealing to your sensibilities, like, as far as, like, the more eclectic music taste that you had previously come up on?
1: Um, it was actually more, the music that I've been attracted to always, you know, has been um, music with what I consider to be beautiful vocals. okay. Um, so, like Chester Bennington has a had a beautiful voice. Amy Lee has a beautiful voice. Um, mm-hmm. It was like stuff that I could sing along to. Um, but also, yeah, the use of of um, other instruments uh, always appeals to me. But it was definitely a fight um, that I had when when friends were trying to get me into other types of metal, um, where they were like, oh, "Check out this like Cradle of Filth band," and I was like. Mm. No, I only like bands where they actually sing.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, mean that yeah. didn't last
1: long. I got I got embarrassingly into Cradle of Filth. Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's funny. Like, um, I kind of I kind of had like the opposite reaction because like I um, I had always listened like. You know, I was listening to like um, band, like like let's say you know in high school it would be like Bad Religion and Descendants and and uh, mm-hmm. you know f- uh, Fugazi and and all of this stuff, and then like just out of high school, like here's where like the sort of like late '90s like screamo scene starts like really happening, and then <laughs> I would and that's when I was like. Yeah, I'm not really that interested in anything that's not that, that's like has like what we would now refer to as like clean vocals. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of done with that, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 then I I backtracked on that later, you know. I'm like, of course, like now everything is fun, you know, and and I enjoy everything. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, when you first when that stuff was first happening, and we we're like you know, just figuring out that, like, there's actually people that will listen and appreciate to you just, like, uh, uh, sc- you know, screaming about trauma and rolling around on the floor, then, like, you know, you're just like, okay, well, I've got a, I've got about 20 years of this to get out, so um, <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what we did, I guess, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, um,
0: yeah, so, so you, like, did you go through the whole, like, with the flute, did you go through the whole, like, uh, um, l- going into competitions, uh, band experience, or was it just, like, more just like... Oh, yes. Yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that like?
1: Um, it was, I, I enjoyed it a lot because it meant that, you know, the, the band got to travel. Um, yeah. n- nothing terribly, like, prestigious, but, you know, we'd get to go to Vancouver or something. I, I grew up in Calgary. Um, so that was a you know substantial trip, um, and I also got to liking it because it turned out that as a result of practicing so 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 much that I was pretty good at it, um, so I would win awards and stuff like that sometimes, uh, and our band would win awards, um, and that was neat. <laughs>
0: How were you as far as like performance and like performance anxiety did that exist to you or was it just like when you're at that age you just like you know sometimes it's like people that age are less anxious than people who the same person will be less anxious at that age than they would be when they're older like what was that part like for you
1: um i had an interesting relationship with With uh, well, I don't know if it's actually interesting, but a strained relationship with um, performance anxiety, which is that uh, I'm a very um, shy person generally. Like, I I don't like to be the center of attention. Um, But at the same time, like, there's definitely a part of me that likes to be the center of attention. Um, And in terms of getting up on a stage in front of people and performing... um, that That part of me like really comes out, and I like i I love it, um, and it's kind of almost like in defiance of maybe my like more dominant personality features, um where I'm like, no, no, I'm gonna get up on stage and I'm gonna do this thing, and it's gonna be cool, and people are gonna like it um and then and then I'm gonna forget about it, and so it doesn't matter <laughs> if it actually is good or not. Um, so uh. I tend to get like I don't get nervous at all until the last possible second. Um and then I'm extraordinarily nervous for like 5 minutes before I get onto a stage. Um and then it just it just like goes away and I I kind of enjoy the experience. Uh and I think that's sort of always been true.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a, an interesting like um it's an interesting little dance sometimes that we do when we're, like, sort of introverted in, in a way. And then we, we put ourselves in this, like, uh, position where even, like, even if you are, even if you think you're going to just, like, turn your back to the crowd and be, like, you know, cool about it, like, you're still the focal point of a, a room full of people. And um and yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's just like, you know, part of it has to do with like the fact that, you know, you're doing it like sort of on your terms, you know, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and like, yeah, doing it with another person or a group of other people is obviously, um, a huge, like, um, that's a a shoulder to lean on, you know, whereas like, I don't know, the couple of times when I've done a show that was like just me or something, like it was a lot more nerve wracking. Um, And I don't know if you have a lot of experience, like other than, you know, when you were uh, doing like a flute solo in a competition or something, if you have a lot of experience where you perform like just yourself or not but um yeah I don't know like I don't know how like comedians do that like just with no like loud noises behind them or anything like that you know you just go out and just hope people laugh like it's uh it's wild and I always thought it'd be kind of a fun like you know because I like to put myself through like semi-harrowing experiences like that you know (laughs) I just thought like I wonder if I could do that you know I should try it but um yeah, probably won't ever happen. Um, <clears throat> so, like, when y- you know you have the you have like your you know musical experiences in the school band, and um, like you're starting to get into heavier music and everything like that. Like, how did you become involved in like whatever would have been your first like local music scene?
1: I. I started going to shows, um, when I was maybe like, I don't know, 16 or so in high school. Um, there were a few, uh, big metal shows at like, um, a community center in, in Calgary. Uh, you know, it would be like, uh, like Cradle of Filth and Arch Enemy and, um, on earth and like whatever other bands were, were touring at those times, um, would play at this community center. So those were all ages shows. Um, and then, um, I think the first kind of big, big concert that I went to was, uh, Biff Naked. Um, and I kept going to, you know, whatever shows were, were all ages and available to me throughout high school. Um, And then it was really when I finished high school, and uh, I don't know how it came about, but I saw Brain Fever play at this venue that was called Undermountain. Um, Brain Fever, who would later become La Luna. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw them play at this place called Undermountain that was like um, the basement of the Beat Root uh, magazine office, Um, and that changed everything. For me, um, to be like, one, you know, this is not a huge show that's happening at like a giant venue um, with you know big money. This is just like some some people who look kind of like me um, doing this thing in uh, uh, a sketchy basement somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Vanessa, the the vocalist of that band, um, just being like, wow, this person rules. Um,
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And uh, so I became like an ardent follower of La Luna, Brain Fever, and Pint-Sized. And that's actually, I think, how I came to be following you on the internet, um, is that I feel like Vanessa um, tagged you in something at some point, and for the longest time, my sort of cultural touchstone was like anything that um, Brain Fever, La Luna, Vanessa repped uh I would just I would follow it I would I would buy any music that they said was good I would follow all the bands that they played with when they were on tour um yeah they they were huge and through that I started getting like going to local screamo shows um and uh the rest is kind of history I guess
0: yeah yeah it's it's all starts to just like go together at that point huh yeah and, I mean, you, you you mentioned, like, that it was folks that sort of looked like you and that it was, like, in this, like, little basement and, you know, things like that. And um, how much of an impact, like, was that aspect of it, the fact that, like, you know, I'm not sure what your previous experiences were like, but, like, in this instance, at least was this the first time where you're just like five feet in front of the band on that's like playing on the floor and, and stuff like that? Like, or. Yeah, been, it was. Yeah.
1: And yeah. like having, um, you know, having Vanessa, like, uh, you know, kind of mosh into me during a set. Um, all of that was the first time that I was like, oh, like I could actually be in a band. Like, this is something that is, um, within sort of my world, not this other like f- fantasy world that is unattainable to me
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's i mean, I think that that is just that's beautiful, and I think that that experience is like there there can't be enough said for that, just like how um how d i y in that sense like g- gives people the agency to be like, wait, you know, what's, what's stopping me from doing this? You know, a couple of <laughs> mic cords and some words, you know, like yeah. <laughs> what's, I mean, who do? you know, we can figure that out. Right. So, um, yeah, I just think that there's, I, I don't know that I, that's why I keep asking these questions mm-hmm. is I, I just love these stories and, and, uh, like they, I just can't say enough about what, that means that like, you know, pe- people can have this effect on each other and just, and just, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily why anybody is there in the first place, but then it happens. And then mm-hmm. like the next generation will have that as well. And, you know, we hope that keeps going, but, um, yeah. S- so I how mean, long was, one- Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 continue.
1: Um, I was going to say, like, it took a long, long time, like, more than 10 years from there before I actually was in a band. Um, But that, you know, has to do with a lot of my own hang-ups and and life circumstances. Um, But there was that moment where I saw saw La Luna for the first time and was like, oh, shit. And then a couple years later, after I had sort of religiously been going to every single show affiliated with that scene... Um, there was another show at Undermountain that, uh, Vanessa and and everybody was at. Um, and I was sitting outside between sets because I like, I didn't know anybody and I have terrible anxiety. Um, and I would just try to like melt into the background between sets. Um, and I was sitting outside and Vanessa walked up to me and was like, Hey, you come to literally all our shows and I don't know who you are, but you look cool. Do you want to be my friend? Um, (laughs) And I was like, yes.
0: <laughs>
1: and then they introduced me to, like, all of their friends. Um, and then, you know, we ended up being, like, really, really close friends and and still are. Um, and then, you know, maybe a year or so after that, um, they were trying to book a show and they were like, oh, I just don't have time to deal with this right now. Like, can somebody else handle this? And I was like, I don't know. You do this all the time. Like, how hard can it be? So I I booked a show um, and then, you know, I've been booking DIY, punk, metal, noise, whatever shows, um, for more than 10 years since then. Uh, and I was, you know, booking shows way, way before I ever got to playing shows.
0: That's awesome. And that's actually where I was going with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like how long till you did start some bands and start booking shows. But yeah, that, that's that, um, you said, like, still, though, like, it wouldn't be f- for a while until you, like, um, did start playing music with other people. So, uh, um, I mean, from... I I know of a lot of, like, things that you've been a part of over the last couple years, but what were um, some of your first band experiences like? Um, I
1: guess my... my- First band experience was um, when I was 18. Um, okay, well, backing up from there, when I was like 16, um, my best friend's dad was a jazz musician uh, and had me do vocals on a track um, that he like burned on a CD, gave to a couple of his family members, and that was that. Um, when I was 18, I had just started university um, and I got like a, a cold phone call during class one day from this guy that was like, hey, I'm your best friend's uh, brother's girlfriend's cousin, and I heard that song you recorded, and I want you to come be the vocalist of my like new metal band. I, I don't think he said new metal band, but effectively it was a new metal band. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, sick, cool. Um, so I started, uh, I, I tried that, and um, their place was, in, like, the furthest possible suburb of the suburb that I lived in. So it was, like, two hours on the bus to get there. Um, And I was 18, and they were all, like, 36. Um, And they wanted to play, like, Tool and System of a Down covers and stuff, which was rad. Um, But it just ended up not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, And then um, years... I, I did some kind of, like, backing vocals and flute stuff for, like, an X's project. Um, and then the first, you know, real band thing that I did, I guess, was Ulcereth, um, which was the anti-fascist uh, neo-folk band that I was in for a while. Um, and that band really came uh, came about because I, I met Margaret, um, and she was like, hey you're actually really good at music like we should start a band together and i was like me no i'm not good at music at all um and then we would just sort of mess around and uh and record stuff um and then the opportunity to open for divide and dissolve came up um and uh and i was like well i really want to do that so we wrote some songs and and played that show and then that became a band.
0: Okay, so and so that's that's something that I had I I listened to but I did not know that that's how that was pronounced. So it took me a second, I think. Because I was like Margaret, that's the person that you know also plays in and I'm like, "Wait, that's how you actually say that." So A L S A R A T H. It makes perfect sense the way you say it, you know, when I'm reading it now. I don't know how I thought, you know, initially um, but, oh, well, yeah.
1: it's a, it's a made up word. So, um, okay. I think that that gives you license to say it however,
0: however you like, right. I mean, yeah,
1: you can say any word, however you want, because language is fake, but, um, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, no, no. It's just like, I was like, I was hearing like ulcer if, Uh, You know, and I was like, I was picturing like, I was like, okay, we're about to talk about something that's got D beats in it and like, (laughs) you know, some crusty vocals and, you know, um, some rusty guitar strings, you know, stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, I listened to that. And and um, yeah, that's like, you know, where I was like talking about like, I don't, like, there was a band that played at my house, like, uh, you know, an embarrassing number of years ago called Fin Fang Foom, where they used um, flute in a bunch of their songs. And it was, like, it was amazing. But, like, I just don't know that it happens in a lot of, like, DIY and stuff um, these mm-hmm. days. And so it's, like, that is really fucking cool. Um, but, um, yeah, you so that was, that was around... Uh, 2020, right? That that started or was there more material before the couple of things that are on Bandcamp?
1: Um yeah, I think we put out our our EP in 20 in like January 2019. Um and we had written that EP over the over the 10 days before the Divide and Dissolve show, which was about a month before we put the EP out and that was that was the the first stuff that existed. <laughs>
0: couple of the things that you know that I listened to you did for um the project called Demo Fest yeah and um yeah I thought like I didn't get to look through that um altogether uh like that Demo Fest page so I didn't see like how many submissions there were or anything like that but um I thought Like, whoa, like, what a cool idea that was. Um, uh, But um, how did you get specifically involved in that? And and what were your, like, uh, what was the thought processes behind, like, the different styles of things that you decided to do and and people that you um, ended up working with? Uh,
1: Yeah, so... Demo Fest, um, was organized by some of my friends, uh, and it was a pandemic project that, like, initially we really thought it wasn't going to be a very big, big thing. Um, it was just like the pandemic had just started and everybody who was in bands, um, you know, we, we were housebound, um, we couldn't jam with people. I say this like I was included in that, but I, I wasn't in bands at that point really. Um, but people were like housebound, they couldn't uh, go jam. Um, and so, you know, everybody was feeling like they really needed a creative outlet. Um, and so, my friends pitched Demo Fest as, like, you know, we'll make some like dem- uh, bedroom record- recordings um, and it'll be like really chill and, and really low expectation as just a way to get people you know, feeling like they can do stuff during the pandemic. And maybe some people who haven't really done music before would be into the idea of doing it because it's like this fun project that we're all doing together. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. I kind of am that person. Like I have this, this earth project that exists in the world. But, um, at that point I hadn't really even like accepted the fact that I was in a music project that put music out into the world. So I was like, you know, I'm not a musician. I don't play music, but maybe I can do something for demo fest. Um, And so the Amari demo was, um, it was like the the noise project that I had had in my head for at that point, like 10 years using flute, um, which had always been a thing where I was like, flute is the only instrument that I know how to play. It's like the only thing I'm good at. I've tried to learn guitar and I just cannot get my head around it. Um, But flute is this thing that I was like, kind of forced to learn as a child. And so I know how to play it and I have one and I really want to use that in different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I, I decided to like attempt um, a Mario uh, and that's maybe actually not a totally true story because I think that I played my first a Mario show right before the pandemic started. Um, But it really had, like, it had come out of Ulcereth and being like, okay, cool, I'm playing flute in a band, so maybe I can do this thing um, that I've been kind of throwing around in my head for ages. Uh, And then for Demo Fest, I was like, well, maybe I can record it. Um, And I did that. And then my partner at the time and I had been talking about starting a band for years and just hadn't figured out um, how that would really work. And so given that we were like already in a bubble together, um, we decided that we would try something out for a demo fest and we were throwing around ideas and uh I was really into listening to Godflesh at that point. So we thought that we would try like um kind of a Godflesh worship like industrial project. Mm-hmm. Um and we had this uh like cheap old drum machine that we had bought kind of on a whim. Um So we, we programmed some beats in that and I had really wanted to learn how to play drums. So I like learned kind of those drum parts on a drum kit and my partner Jay played bass. Um, And then, uh, yeah, we, we wrote the vocals, um, the lyrics and the vocals, like the day that we went to record just kind of in a, a one shot thing um, and it was really cool because it was so low pressure. It was like, oh, this is DemoFest. Like, only our friends are going to listen to it. It's going to be, like, uh, you know, small little thing. Um, and then DemoFest ended up having, like, well over 100 submissions. Um, and it became a way bigger thing. But uh, it was still, you know, really, really fun. And I'm I'm so grateful for that experience that kind of took me out of my like oh I don't know how to play music I'm not a musician uh headspace
0: yeah I mean those I like it's it's it would be remiss of me to uh, to pretend that I know exactly what you were going for with those two releases and and whether or not you like hit them but as a listener it's like I feel like the the that from like what you described, like you're like, oh, I was really into this kind of stuff. And so the pamphleteer thing sounds like that sounds dead on. I'm like, <laughs> I was listening to this and I was like, yeah, this came out it, This came out of like, you know, the German underground in like 1989 or, you know, 1991 <laughs> at the latest, you know. And then like, you know, the Marion thing, like it's just, I mean, that just sounds so like beautiful and nice and then every once in a while there's like something, you know, abrasive that comes out of it and uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I just I, – I I imagine that you got like what you were aiming for out of that as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I mean then like that's when you sort of start start being like – you know, like, why don't I just, like, join a, a full band? Or, like, you know, like, obviously once, like, we sort of start learning how to navigate the pandemic and stuff like that, like, is that how Jetsam started?
1: Um, Kind of, yeah. Like, I had tried to be in a couple of bands um, in the, the time that I lived in, in Montreal because, you know, everybody here is in bands. And we would just sort of, like, try, and then it would fall apart because... Nobody really knew how to play their instruments or, like, how to write music. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, a background to the Ulcereth thing where when Ulcerith came about, I was like, well, you know, I've tried to be in bands a few times and, and like, I don't actually really know how to make music, so it didn't work. And then Alsworth happened and I was like, oh, okay, I, I actually do know how to write music and that's neat. Um, and then Jetsum happened because... Um, Myself and my partner, Neon, and a friend were trying to start a doom metal band, uh, and so we got a jam space and started jamming, um, and then the third member of our band uh, went away for a few weeks. Um, and in the interim, we we met up with like an old friend of Neon's uh, to buy a drum kit and kind of made a joke where we were like, aha, we should start a power violence band together. Um, and the friend Wawa, our our now drummer, was like, oh, I'm absolutely down. And I think the next day we booked some time at the jam space um, and we went in and we, you know, started making noise. And by the end of that jam, um, the end of that like three hour jam, uh, the song Trigger Discipline um, existed almost as you hear it now on our, on our EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were like, oh, well that was incredibly cool. Like we, we had one jam and we wrote a song. We should try it again. So the next week we had another jam and we wrote um, another song. We wrote um, excoriate pretty much in one go again. Uh, and then, then it became a joke of, of being like, haha, I wonder how many times this can happen. Um, and sure enough, the next week we had our third jam and we wrote, Uh, our third song, um, Claiborne. And then the next week we had our fourth jam and we wrote our fourth (laughs) song. Uh, (laughs) and then at that point we were like, oh shit, like I, we have to be a band now. Um, so yeah, we started locking in those songs and maybe, maybe a week or two later, um, Wawa was like, Hey, my friend is booking this show. Um, if we want to be, you know, for real about this, uh, we, you know, should get a band name and and play this show that's in, like, a month. Um, and that'll, you know, be our encouragement to, like, tighten up this set. Um, so we agreed to it, and we played that show. And then by the time that show was done, we had, I think, two more shows booked. And then w- within that same month, we played three more shows. Um, and so, yeah, we we started the band, like really on a whim not expecting that it would go anywhere and then we played six shows in a month um and put out an EP and uh yeah and and that's that's that
0: well that works I mean it's it's like when you're talking about like every um every time you have a jam like and and you uh come out with a song it's it's, I thought there was going to be a Counting the chickens before they hatch story to that, but <laughs> no, it's just still going like at that rate, like plenty of shows and um, and getting the uh, recording done and and everything like that. Um, was this your first experience like standing in front of people with just a microphone and and playing a show, or or had you done that before?
1: Um. Like, this is my first time being kind of, like, the vocalist of a band. Uh-huh. But in Amarior, um, it's just me with my flute and a microphone and some guitar pedals. Oh, um, right. And I think I had played maybe two Amarior shows before Jetson started. And then in Ulcereth, like, it was it was me and Margaret um, on a stage in, in front of microphones. Uh, so this is definitely a different thing like I don't have an instrument yeah um
0: and that that, what I was getting at is like more like um not that like I mean I don't really know like what kind of headspace that you would get into with your different projects but this being a power violence band like it, it 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 like implicates uh a more like visceral part of your personality that is likely to show itself. And so is that the first time that you were, you know, put, put out like with that um, sort of like energy that you, that you had to uh, engage with and, and like, how did that make you feel the first time, you know, when you're out there and then the, amps start going off and, and it's like, you know, this huge, um, wall that's about to happen.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess in, when I play, um, as a Mario uh, like I'm usually standing behind the microphone with my flute, but then, um, the songs typically will kind of build into something that's louder and more cacophonous. And then, um, usually I'll put my flute down and like get the microphone and walk into the audience and, and do like the, the harsher, um, like the screaming vocals there. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is a totally different type of energy from, from what, um, Jetsam is. Uh, and I was so, that was my biggest worry with Jetsam was that like, I wouldn't be able to embody the kind of, uh, like rage, I guess that's, that's in the lyrics or that I feel like the music, um, calls for, Mm -hmm. And leading up to our first show, I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? Like, there's going to be people there and they're going to be watching. And I need to be in the headspace where these lyrics mean something to me. But I'm going to have to do that in front of, like, strangers. Um, and so for our first Jetsam set, um, we played at this uh, this venue called La Shoppe that's, like, kind of an anarchist community center, but also people live there. And so it's in sort of the, the living room. Um, and we set up right in the middle of the floor with the three of us facing each other. Um, and that was helpful because I wasn't looking at the audience. I was like looking at my bandmates. Um, but then every time since then we've played sort of the more like traditional band setup. Mm -hmm. Um, and, like, I just, it just works. I, it, I just am able to, to do the thing that I, I thought I needed to be able to do. Um, mm. and I, I can't explain it better than that.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, it's like, you know, the way you described, uh, seeing like brain fever the first time. And then I'm sort of like, well, that's where you're at now. You know, yeah. Like you're, You're the person that has to get up there, and you're the person that has to, like, um, has to show people that same kind of, um, like, devotion or what, how, you know, however, whatever word you want to put on it. Like you said, I like that word. You know, you, (laughs) you, and so it's your turn to deliver, you know, and sometimes that's like, uh, sometimes that's quite a, an experience and sometimes it, it can be um, ner- nerve wracking, you know, but it sounds like mm-hmm. maybe that first time sort of having like come out of that and having a less, uh, a, an experience that was less focal on like you per se as it was on the band as a whole and you having like, that experience where you didn't have to for your very first time like face the crowd as it were and you know <laughs> was like that was just the the training wheels and then they came off and so um yeah the rest is history i guess but um like um the the uh the ep you know as you said like it's it's on bandcamp and it's like it is it's ferocious. And, um, some of my friends have, I I believe played with y'all on their way through and stuff. And, um, like everybody has like great things to say, uh, about, about the band. Um, I don't, um, like I've never even played in Montreal. Every time it's like, it's every time that I've gone to Canada, I'm like this time, this time we're gonna play Montreal while we're up there, and it's always just like, no, you have like two days to play, like so you're gonna play in Michigan, then you're gonna play in Toronto, then you're gonna go home, you know, and and that's yeah, that's just that. But like, um, like I I would I I would love to come up there and play sometime, but I you know I please do, is. um, <laughs> but um, like, it's always like I always am like okay so I I know this thing is coming and so I want to chat with somebody about the thing they just did. And so it's always that point where I'm like, well, what's next? Like, and it's like, we just did the thing. So sometimes it's like, (laughs) I don't mean to, for that to sound like it's pressure, like, why aren't you doing enough or anything, you know, especially, you know, the last like, um, you know, year, year or so, like you've actually you know from someone who wasn't releasing music like you know and thought that you kind of like might not have a place in your life for that like you've released a lot of music which is great um but like are you all still writing uh songs at that like one song uh, a jam clip and like what are your plans like going forward like is it just like we're just going to keep writing songs and keep playing some shows or is there like already plans for like more solid things in the future?
1: Well, um, our drummer, uh, also plays in this band called Endform that are like, you know, really, really incredible kind of melodic crust. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have been on tour in Europe since the beginning of October so we played our last show as Jetsam maybe like two or three days before he went off to Europe, and then he's been over there. Um, and we released the EP sort of during the time that we knew we wouldn't be able to be jamming sure. as a way to sort of uh, keep, the, uh, keep the momentum going for us. Um, and also because, like, when we were playing shows, you know, two shows a week sometimes, like, it was really hard to... Record and also do all of the kind of back end stuff of putting an album together, um, but he'll be back uh, in December, and our plan is to keep keep jamming and keep writing songs, um, hopefully at the same pace. But also, it's fine if it you know calms down a little. Um, I yeah, I've been been working on lyrics, and we have a bunch of ideas for songs that just need to get like laid down. Um, and then we already have a couple of shows on the books for like January, February. Um, and we have been throwing around the idea. Uh, we maybe kind of got offered an opportunity to go on tour in Europe in May, um, which would be, you know, my absolute dream. Uh, so we're going to do everything in our power to make that happen. Um, and I'm applying for some fests next spring and summer. Um, and, uh, yeah, if the European tour, like, doesn't happen, then I would love to do a smaller, like, local, you know, East Coast tour. Um, yeah. So, like, no no firm plans, but definitely plans. Um, we would love to record a full-length, like, as soon as possible. Um, yeah, we definitely don't plan on, on stopping.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And how about, um, a and, and Ulcerith? Are, are you still sort of like, uh, working on that material, like material for those projects? Just at, at like a slower tick, obviously, or?
1: Ulcerith is, is probably done. Um, okay. like Margaret and I have both moved on to other projects. Yeah. For uh, sure. is still active. Um, I find it incredibly difficult to write uh, music for that project. Um, and it, it, I think it's partially because the idea for that project and the sort of first piece that I wrote um, came out of a very specific, uh, horrible time in my life.
0: Mm.
1: And in a lot of ways, like, I wrote that first piece and I was like, okay, this is this is the thing that I wanted to do. Like, I I got it out. I said the thing I wanted to say. And I don't know that I really need to, this project really needs to exist anymore. Um, And then I, you know, got asked to play more shows and was trying to write music and um, wrote a couple of other pieces um, that I I think are good and uh, I enjoy playing them. But I kind of always intended that that project would be... um, that each show would be a completely unique, uh, mostly improvised piece and that nothing would ever be repeated. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a really difficult project to write for.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, what, what you said about like this being about a a specific experience that you wanted to sort of work out of your system or whatever, makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, and when you're when you're sort of like, well, I did that, and like I accomplished that. It's like why, like, I- to a degree, you know, and like not to interpret what you're saying, but it's like I would personally be like, why would I want to revisit that? Like, I mm-hmm. like if I want to create something like similar, then I can just move on to something to to a different experience to draw from you know or or and therefore it would be a different thing but yeah that's like i'm sure that there, i'm sure that that's like not an unheard of idea but that's the first time that i've really uh, heard someone talk about like yeah like i did this because of this and now like maybe that's just done and i think that sounds like you know, very, very healthy, like, you know, and um, I don't know that, like, sometimes, you know, it's, uh, even if it's only one recording that you've done or a few shows that you've played, sometimes it's like, well, it's hard to, like, just let that go or whatever. But, you know, maybe, like, maybe maybe you will, maybe you won't. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's, like part of your thought process or, or, or not, but.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I really had intended to sort of give that project up and then I was asked to play a show, um, actually by some people who had become my friends because they had come to my first show. And as soon as I finished my set, they came up and they were like, you know, that was incredible. And they were also asking me questions about my pedal setup and they were like, we've been planning a project like this for like a long time but never thought that it would work as a live act until we saw this and and so um, we kept in touch and they reached out to me when they were ready to play their first show uh, and asked me to play with them and I was like well yeah of course I I have to play that show <laughs> um, so I wrote another a Mario piece and I think where, what I kind of came to with that is, like, that that first piece that I wrote, I don't think I'll ever play it again. Um, it's an invocation of something very specific and, like, very intense for me. Um, and the sort of, like, not to be too, like, woo or whatever, but the, the process of, like, invoking it, dealing with it, and then putting it away again. Um, it was what I needed it to be. And I don't think that I can continue to do that, um, you know, on a stage in front of people, uh, one, because it's too like intense for me. And two, because I think to like really honor those feelings and that experience, um, like it has to be kind of a sacred thing, uh, not just like a song that I play because it's a song that I wrote or whatever. Um, but the experience of writing for this other show was that like, maybe there are other things that I can say with this project that deserve like for me to be said uh and so that's kind of where i'm at now is that yeah i don't think i'll ever play that first piece and i might never play that second piece again but i think i can continue to write things like that
0: And that was my conversation with Jack. Thank you so much, Jack, for taking the time to chat with me. After you're done checking out that Jetsum EP, head over to patreon.com slash human machine and see what I've been up to. Until next time, take care and do good things.